0: Uh, so what we're doing over the course also in terms of teaching for the next six weeks is sort of a series inception. Uh, so we've been going through a series that we titled "Outpost of Love. Uh, this is a series through the book of Philippians. So we're sort of going chunk by chunk through this letter that was written by a man named Paul who wrote a better part of the New Testament, uh, who's written, writing this letter from jail, and he's writing to this very mature community, and we're learning a lot about what it means to be citizens of heaven. And as we've talked a lot about when we think of heaven, uh, the, the biblical Christian idea and understanding is that heaven begins now. Jesus says the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven began now with his ministry. And so that everywhere the rule and reign exists, So, everywhere where, uh, of Jesus, so anywhere where things are in their right place, where peace and justice and love are thriving, this is what the kingdom of God looks like. And Jesus is the one who ushers this in. And so what Paul is talking to this church in Philippi, this city called Philippi about, is look, live, continue to live as citizens of the gospel, citizens of heaven. Live in light of your allegiance is first and foremost to Jesus. So you guys are kind of an outpost of love, an outpost of justice, an outpost of mercy in the Roman Empire. And we thought, man, that resonates, does it not, in our day in a city like Providence, that we as a community, the 200 of us sitting in this room right now, that we would be an outpost of love, of heaven. An outpost of heaven. We would have called it outpost of heaven, but we figured a lot of people on the outside looking in would be a little more confused by that. So we just went with love. So you could blame us for like seeker sensitive right there. We just, we did it. Um, So the idea uh, for lent is we kind of timed everything just right so at philippians 2 we would hit lent which is where we're at today it took us how long have we been in the series six weeks or so five or six weeks to get through chapter 1 and so it should take us about that time and philippians 2 deals so much with humility And imitating the way of Jesus, what we see Jesus do, the Son of God, empty himself of all of his power and all of his trappings to become human, to show us what the way of God is like. And we learn that the way of God is generous, loving, washing of people's feet. This is what God is like. And so we titled this series in a series just The Way of the Cross. Uh, what is the way of the cross, what is the way of humility, the way of humbling yourself, the way of sacrificial love, of laying down your life. Paul hits at this in a number of different ways through this chapter, so I'm going to kick us off here in um, one of the more convicting passages, and it's something that, which is, I'm really excited about, I'm sorry if anyone else might be a little bit bummed by this, is that uh, we've actually tackled this exact text um, pretty recently in our uh, home groups, maybe three months ago or so. And this is something that actually just came up if you were at the last Creative Collective Roundtable discussion, which is dealing with the issue of humility. So we're going to talk a bit about um, oneness and having the same mind, what it means to be united in that kind of way. Because Paul says if, if you've learned anything about God, and been blessed in any way by God, in any sense, you guys should be bonded and united in one. And because you're united, you should not have any selfish ambition or vain conceit, but consider others better than yourself. Um, So if you would, stand with me. This is just a tradition that we have in our church. Uh, Even if you're brand new to uh, Christianity or brand new to the Bible, um, I just would encourage you uh, just to stand with us as we read the word of God. Value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let me pray for us. Lord, um, I pray for... uh, I don't know if this is, I guess, selfish. <laughs> but I, I just ask you, Lord, to, um, to just um, overcome the, the foolishness in my own heart. Um, overcome the uh, desire to be clever or funny for the sake of being clever or funny. Lord, I pray that you just overcome uh, any sort of selfish ambition. <laughs> In my own heart, Lord, that I might um, accurately, Lord, present the scriptures to uh, my friends and my family here. That I pray for the person who just walked in who, uh, for whatever reason, aren't super comfortable right now. And I, I just pray, God, that you would just remind them of your love. Remind them, Lord, of the peace that lies in you. I pray for the person who this is all new to or carrying baggage and cynicism. I pray this would just be a safe place to explore ideas. I'd just be open to, to what this ancient document says and what the scriptures have, have said. pray that we just be, as a whole community, those on the mountaintop and those in the valley, as we so often pray, Lord, that we would uh, be aware of how you are moving not just in our own personal life, but in the life of our church. Help us, as we've been talking about these last few weeks, Lord, to to see each other as partners in the good news of Jesus. See ourselves as partners in establishing an outpost of love and mercy and justice and truth in the city, in this region. Thank you, God, for... Babies' cries. I thank you for a kid's ministry that's growing. I thank you that there's there's more and more gray hairs as the mohawks increase. <laughs> Lord, I, I, I thank you for this family, and I pray that you would grow us, um, not just in numbers, Lord, but you grow in, in, that we become transformed people, that more disciples would emerge from this community, Lord, that we, the culture of this church might affect the culture of this city. In your name we pray. Amen. So, uh, what I want to do, just to give you a, a really brief overview, um, is if you want to throw the, uh, the text up again there, Alice, that would be great. Uh, the opening part, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort in his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete. What I want to do is kind of start halfway through here. And I want to come back at the very end to this first part about being united with Christ. Just so you have a sense of where I'm going. For those of you who don't like to be kind of like kept floating above the sermon, um, this is, I want to start midway through. And just to set this up, Paul is basically saying, I mean it's pretty clear in the text, if any of the goodness of God has risen up in you, you guys should be one. If, if you've experienced an ounce of the joy, beauty, love of the creator, the love and logic at the center of everything, then be united. How could you not be? And we're going to come back to these verses at the end. So I want to start with one mind. First of all, uh, the term one mind, and I wish I had time to like do a two-hour Bible study into this phrase alone, but scholar after scholar after scholar have pointed out that this phrase one mind does not mean I want you to be like the same person. This is not like some sort of call to to robot robotic. Uh, ro- I got nothing. It's not a call to be to be. Was, my sci-fi just like went out the window. I don't know what I'm trying to say. Anybody? I know there's like Nick Cole. Help me out here. Borg. Borg. Star Trek. Anyone? Anyone? Captain Kirk. Okay. First tangent of the day. I haven't even started. You remember, the, you remember, I was talking with my wife yesterday about earwigs. You, remember, you know earwigs? Everyone know what an earwig is? Little things. I, I wanted to know where they came from, and I didn't get a chance to even look it up. I'm sure someone will and tweeted at me by the end of the sermon. But um, I just immediately recalled this episode in Star Trek or a movie where they put the thing in the guy's ear. And then it, like, Wrath of Khan. <laughs> yes. Ah, oh, this is a great little nerd fest. I alienate some group of people no matter what the sermon. Like I have a bunch of basketball references I'm going to drop later. So all you guys can just check out during that part. But I want to throw some Star Trek in there. What Paul is, not, is saying, he's not trying to say you need to, I'm going to say Borg again in a sermon. To be of, like the exact person. You're not to be like copy of a copy of a copy. Same thing with one spirit. The word here we talked a little bit about last week is psyche, like one soul. There's this deeper sense of oneness. It's closer to the sort of, I think, hippie mentality almost of just like, yeah, we're like, we're joined in some mysterious way. This is really what Paul's getting at. If you've experienced any of the good of God, be of one mind and one spirit. Your greatest challenge is to be one. Now, before I go any further, this is one of those ideas that preaches and tends to actually not transform at all. In fact... I would argue in this church in particular, I love to talk about what? Community, oneness, unity, togetherness, partnership, right? Let's be honest. Over the last like two years, I've given like 18 versions of the same sermon. I love to talk about this. In large part because I think the scriptures are obsessed with it. Right? John 17, the words of Jesus is, do you want to know how the world will know the love of God? Is you will be one as we, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, are one. So I think it's central to Jesus. That's my defense of giving that sermon 18 times. But Paul, as we've learned so far in chapter 1, is a bit of a realist. He's pretty straightforward about the human condition. Paul gets in trouble when people nowadays try to read him out of context because he seems incredibly harsh. Paul Paul is, is honest about the state of humanity, the state of our soul, and is really good at giving practical insight that we even today, centuries later, go, oh, man, that's the word of God. That's rich. But when I get to this, I go, Paul, I, I, that's really nice of you to say we should be unified But, like, I'm having a hard time with the people who I actually like. Never mind the person down the pew who I don't actually like, who's a bit of annoying, who doesn't deserve my grace. Right? There's uh, (laughs) someone uh, fairly recently who has just been really, it's been hard for me to understand how to really relate to this person. It's been really hard for me to say, you ha- you are digging your own hole, and I'm washing my hands of you. Right? Not the things you want to hear your pastor admit from the front. Right? I'm supposed to have just eternal patience. This is what at least it says in the pastor handbook. Like, good Lord, it's like I we all have that point where it's like, I- I'm sorry, I love you like a brother, but I don't have to like you. You know. And. And I look at Paul's language of, hey, guys, if you've experienced anything good with Jesus, which um, if you're new here, I would say a lot of the people you're sitting around would identify with that first statement. We've experienced the love and healing and beauty and deliverance of Jesus. Amen? A lot of us sitting around here have experienced that. And yet some of us, most of us are probably no step closer to being of kind of one mind or as we spoke about last week of seeing ourselves as partner." My first honest reading is that's nice, but I don't see this happening until we begin to dive in a little bit more into Paul's writings about how he looks at the issue of unity. Make my joy complete by being one mind and one spirit. Is Paul realistic? First of all, Paul, if you're brand new to the Bible, is someone who is like not exactly soft on things like doctrine. Paul, Paul knows what he believes, and he's convicted. He's willing to go to his death for what he believes. It would be safe to say Paul has convictions. Yeah? If you've ever read any bit of the New Testament, like, that guy is serious. In fact, I don't want to meet that guy. He's intense. This is my impression of Paul. Like, I don't know if I could handle Paul. <laughs> Philippians 3.15. I'm excited to have a, a brew with him in heaven, but... Philippians 3.15, I want to read this because we get a little glimpse of what Paul actually gets at when he talks about being of one mind and one spirit. He says, all of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. So he's saying, look, the things that I'm telling you, you guys should probably agree with because it's pretty awesome. (laughs) Then he says, and if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. So Paul who's willing to die for his convictions, he does not need to make everyone see exactly the same way that he sees. Look, I'm laying this out, and I'm telling you, this is good stuff I'm sending you guys. Like, he's not sheepish about that. Even like, no, like, literally live this out. And he's like, and if you don't see it that way, God will make it clear to you. I don't need to control you. I don't need to coerce you. Romans 14, this is another letter Paul has written to the Romans. Except... The one whose faith is weak without quarreling or disputable matters. One person's faith, faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. Now, there's a whole other thing going on here. I know I just pulled this out of context. and I don't have time to get into it. But there's all sorts of interesting things about uh, altars and pagan gods and what we can eat and when and where and Jewish kosher laws. There's a lot going on. But Paul's, look, look, wherever you're at in your faith, like, let your conviction be your conviction. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servant, stand or fall. And they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each one of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Again, all sorts of subtext that's happening. The main point here is different people are convicted about different issues and have different beliefs on things. Whoever, verse 6, whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord. For they give thanks to God, and whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. Verse 10, you then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Now, real quick, before you make this verse mean something it doesn't, they're talking about followers of Jesus here. Like, Like, don't even... Like, why do you heap judgment on somebody over a secondary issue? That's their conviction. Okay. Paul assumes there are differences. They have a firm conviction about fill in the blank. People have thoughtful, prayerful convictions. For Paul, unity doesn't mean that everybody has to agree. Verse 13, still staying in this passage in Romans, Therefore, again, this is Romans um, Romans 14, if you have your Bibles out. In verse 13, therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. Look, the issue here is don't make somebody else slip up and fall and sin because of your conviction. What is the primary issue here? Unity. Unity. Right? We know this. Even if you're here, right, you're not a Christian. Like, think of back on, a, on a, some kind of group that you are in. We are rallied around something center and your personal convictions, as long as it doesn't get in the way of what we are aiming at, as long as it doesn't deviate from the center, as long as it doesn't get in the way of people pursuing and experiencing, in this case, Jesus or whatever the thing that you're a part of is, like like, hold that loosely. It's not your job to change them. Let us, therefore, make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. I have a note here in my, in my notes that says, don't go on a tangent, Andrew. <laughs> it's working on it. <laughs> Let us, therefore, make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. I'll just say it louder and more pointed and hope that you just receive my tangent. So whatever you believe about these things, keep it between yourself and God. In the Greek, that means shut up. Like stop. Peace. Mutual edification. Now again, before you get the wrong idea, this isn't don't have convictions. This isn't don't seek the truth. Paul is contesting things all the time, right? Miroslav Wolf uh, talks, he's a writer at uh, Yale University, a Christian writer, and he talks about passionate civility, how we've lost this. The ability, and he's talking about the public square, never mind in the church. A group of people rallied around the center of Jesus should be able to actually fight well because we care about our ideas because our ideas matter. But at the end of the day, Don't make it a stumbling block. At the end of the day, peace and mutual edification is the thing that is of most importance. Peace and mutual edification is of most importance. So whatever you believe about these things, if you have these other beliefs, keep it between yourself and God. It's not worth it. Paul is comfortable with a variety of convictions and beliefs because there's something bigger going on. And I would argue that our bonds in Jesus actually free us to disagree. Our bonds in Jesus actually free us up to disagree. Right? It's really easy for folks who are bonded around a particular cause that might not be very focused or very central to fall apart. But we as followers of Jesus, I mean, we're holding like a center narrative of the whole world. Like we believe some pretty epic things about like, the bent of the universe of like what's happening in the world of of what Jesus did 2000 years ago why it matters now where this thing is going what it means to journey together in light of Christ what we believe is at work around us we have some pretty unbelievable like things that we all believe in and most Christians actually believe in and we get all mixed up and boiled down and messed up all in the area before like like way before we get to these big things And it should be the fact that we have this bond that allows us to disagree well. Most people leave church because they were confronted with a theological conviction that was not their own, and they leave. Second note, don't make tangent. Ephesians 2 this gets at the heart of Paul. So this is all of these letters, Romans, Ephesians, I'll get the Thessalonians later. These are all from the writer Paul, who's writing to these first churches telling them what it means to live out the life of Christ. And so in Ephesians 2:14 he says for he himself is our peace. He's talking about Jesus, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier the dividing wall of hostility he's talking about jew and gentile like like the divides that used to exist are now gone there literally was a dividing wall in the worship space and it's fallen by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations his purpose jesus's purpose was to create in himself One new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. This new humanity is a community centered on Jesus, and this is what we are a part of. We are to be the new humanity. Jesus is bigger than the ways that we divide ourselves. Jesus is bigger than the way that we divide ourselves. Jesus is bigger. Bigger than the things on the walls that we erect to divide each other. Jesus is bigger. Forget about theological conviction. A lot of you are like brand new to Jesus. And you're like, I don't even understand half of what you read, Andrew, most days. Jesus is bigger than that really frustrating person who you think doesn't deserve your charity in the church. Jesus is bigger than... And our centrality on Jesus allows you to be partners with somebody who is frustrating and annoying and not very nice. I was speaking with a friend the other day who sat down with me and began to rail against this person that they had reached out to and cared for and who did not help Uh, didn't like return the favor basically. Like they reached out, went out on a limb and this person just did not extend very much gratitude. They took advantage of my friend's generosity, justifiable to be upset about it. But it was incredible, the vitriol and the harsh words that were coming out of my friend's mouth. And I've got to just mention, the actions that my friend was taking towards this other person were the exact like actions that I had been taking towards him. Like the exact kinds of things. Like just missed it. It was like the most ironic of ironic conversations I've ever had. So interesting. That I'm sitting here rebuking him for not seeing this person he's reaching out to is look, you guys are still centered on so much. This should give you endurance to push through, to help in maybe a different sort of way, to really truly um, seek to get along and seek peace with this person. All the while, I'm sitting here like I've got to stop meeting with you, dude. <laughs> it was like it was like levels of irony, and God was just like swept in at the end of the conversation with so much conviction. And then brilliant words from my wife when I got home, which are usually where God speaks to me through. (laughs) We as a church, imagine if we truly took seriously this new humanity, this community centered on the main thing. What we have in common is bigger than what we don't have in common. Do we do what leads to peace and do we keep Jesus central? Just a few questions. Can we agree on this? On the Body of Christ broken and the blood of Christ poured out. Can we agree that we are in need of God's grace? Can we agree that the world needs healing? Can we? Can we agree that the world needs healing? Can we agree that we need Jesus? Right, right. The great thing about even like an enemy or, or somebody who's really frustrating within our within the community is usually in a weird way you kind of have the same thing in common because you're like Dude, that guy needs Jesus. And they're just sitting there like, dude, she needs Jesus. Right? At least the thing you have in common is the fact that you both recognize each other's weakness. In some weird twisted way. (laughs) Are Are we serious about this new humanity? About journeying with one another? Because it will be the thing that pushes back against a consumeristic Christianity will be the thing that pushes back against, I don't really like the teaching, I don't really like the music, I've had a hard time getting involved, the church seems sort of cliquish. Like, there's all sorts of reasons that we bail on life and together, and bail on community. And I would just humbly submit to you that not all of them, but many of them uh, are garbage. <laughs> I don't know any, like a nicer way to say that. I just think many of them are They're fine. They're understandable. They're just, they're ultimately, yeah, I have a hard time with them. I think Paul would have a hard time with most of our reasons for bailing on life together. I don't even mean bailing on a church. I just mean bailing on what it means to actually seek the benefit of one another. So, Paul wants us to have the same mind, the same love, being one in spirit, being one in mind. And in light of this, Paul then launches into some of the most convicting words in the New Testament. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others doesn't mean you have to agree on everything. Same mind, one love. You're going to disagree. You're going to have different convictions. We all have different sets of sins, right? We all have this pride eking at our backs, and it all expresses itself in different ways. We all have insecurities. And so when we try to do this life together, you get why Jesus says, man, if the world can see you guys as one, having all sorts of differing ideas and different sense of what's going on, but you guys are centered on this one thing. The world is broken, and we need Jesus, and we need to journey together in light of that. Man, the world will, will like, see the love of God. Like, doesn't it start to make sense when you're like, yeah, this is really hard, Paul. The new humanity or God's community that we've been talking about has little to do with mutual compatibility Similarities in educational background, psychological makeup or social status, these things can bring us together, but they can never be the basis for community. And that's how most of the world bases community, does it not? Community is to be grounded in God who calls us together, not the attractiveness of people to one another. There are many groups that have been formed to protect their own interests or defend their own status or to promote their own causes, but none of these is a Christian community. Instead of breaking through the walls of fear and creating new space for God and for his love, they close themselves to real or imaginary intruders. The mystery of community is precisely that it embraces all people, whatever their individual differences may be, and allows them to live together as brothers and sisters in Christ, as sons and daughters of his heavenly father. That's Henry Nouwen. The imperative for followers of Jesus today is that we have to be radically committed to just just to the idea of community, but we have to be committed to that community actually forming. So, when we look at Paul's command, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others greater than ourselves. We have to realize that it is no small thing to open our, open our hearts and our arms and allow another to enter there. To grant another person the same worth, the same consequence, and the same gravity that we take for granted ourselves. The fact is is that our natural tendency is to treat people as if they were not others at all, but merely aspects of ourselves. It's brilliant. Do not, we do not experience them as the overwhelming, comprehensive realities we find ourselves to be. Compared with us, they are not quite real. We see them through a haze, the haze of our own all-engulfing selfhood. We're constantly filtering others through the fine electronic mesh of our own private system of perception so that what finally reaches our awareness and registers there is not usually a real person at all but a sort of computer image a reconstruction based on our own personal programming and biases. We live in a heavily screened, heavily guarded reality. Not much gets through the barbed wire, not much gets by the great bulldog of our ego. Humility is sort of the central theme that we're gonna be exploring through Lent. And so when Paul goes, Look, look, if you if you really have experienced God, be united, join in this new humanity. And if you're truly entering into that, then you need to move from a posture of self to a posture of others. This word humility leaps off the page to us. The word humble comes from hummus, which is a wonderful snack with cheddar cheese and wheat thins. Hummus, which is simply translated earth or dirt. Humility is about coming to grips with your humanity. Humility is not about having a low self-image or poor self-esteem, but humility is about being aware of who you really are. Awareness, like a proper perspective. I used this analogy, I think, a year and a half ago when we were first just getting started as a church, of the throne, right? There's all this imagery of of what's happening in the world. Like God is the one who sits on the throne, and the world is sort of revolving around this. And there's all these warnings throughout scripture of like, are you are you sitting on the throne, or is God on the throne? Like who's at the center? Is it you or is it everyone else? The idea of of the the beauty of the Christian faith, is that because we recognize that all of life is a gift, that the very um, opportunity that we have to make money or do well is all a gift from God in the first place, so it's going to create humility in all that we do. And so are, are we um, aware? Are we dialed into our humanity? Do we have a self-awareness that, that everything is grace so that This plays out in the same way I was discussing with my friend. When you actually interact with another human being, when you see how frustrating they are or difficult they are or how hard it is to love them, you recognize and have an ownership and a sense of like, wait, wait, wait. I I don't have that kind of insecurity that that person has because my parents told me that they loved me. Wait, I don't have that financial issue because I actually grew up in a middle-class suburban home. Actually, I haven't had to endure that because I lived in a pretty safe area. Actually, I didn't ever see that because my parents stayed together. All of life is grace. All of the goodness and the beauty and truth. And so when we come against frustration, Whatever it is for you within this new humanity, these differences of conviction, are we people who enter in with humility considering others better than ourselves? I always love that verse because it's not saying that you are better. I have no idea. This isn't like blind to yourself. Like maybe in a certain area or a certain thing, yeah, you've got it together and that other person doesn't or that group of people don't have it together. But consider yourself. Like just take on that posture. The number one hindrance to an intimate walk with God, one in which we truly know and are truly known by him, is the absence of humility. It's the absence of humility. We need to move from a posture of self to others. A.W. Tozer says, Self is the opaque veil that hides the face of God from us. It can be removed only in spiritual experience, never by mere instruction. So I land there. Because I want to go back and look at the first three verses as we close. Because all of this is is hopefully helpful. Uh, it's great. Unity and oneness. It doesn't mean we have to like all, all be of the same, like same mind on every single issue and we can focus in on the main thing. And oh, I get how Paul makes that leap. Right, if we're gonna be this new humanity who can disagree well but are focused on Jesus, then then we should really consider other people better and and be humble and everything. All right, it's good advice. I can try to work on that. But this all actually comes out of what A.W. Tozer just mentioned is actually a spiritual enlightenment, an awareness of who God is. So when we go back to the beginning, Paul says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if you have any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, and then he goes on. Be of one mind. Be of one spirit. So this all revolves around one phrase. Next slide. Experience union with Christ. Experience union with Christ. If you have any encouragement from being united or joined with Jesus, this word encouragement in the Greek is the idea that you're walking along and someone comes alongside you and encourages you in the journey together. Like you're dying of thirst. There's all sorts of interesting language that gets, like, catered in around this. This is a picture of, like, this is this is what God is like. If you have any encouragement from being united and joined to each other and joined to Jesus, are you united with Christ? I had a good friend tell me recently that, uh, Andrew, I don't think I have a relationship with God anymore. Man, that's, like, the first most beautiful step, by the way, of, like, Waking up to like, wow, there's nothing there. I've been going through the motions for a long time. Do we have union with Christ? Do we even know what that means? I don't care whether you are 10 years old or like or towards the end of your life. Like To be able to be united with Jesus is as simple as asking, seeking, and knocking. Saying, God, I, I want to experience and know your love. I trust what you have done for me and allowing that to begin to take hold. And Paul says, if you have any encouragement, a sense of God has come alongside you. Second, experience union with Jesus. Paul says, do you have any comfort in his love? Comfort is to speak kindly, to tell a story that reminds them that things are going to be okay. If you have a comfort in the love of God that he's come alongside you and cared for you, union with Christ, do you have any comfort from his love? Think of those moments when you have been at your end. And you have been comforted by the love of God. This morning I was driving over and I was really wrestling with just a couple of folks I have to have a tough conversation with next week. And these are folks who have been in my life for a really long time. And, and I just realized how insecure I am about just some stuff. And it was, it was really, and I can't get into detail, I just, it was, I speak in these vague generalities. I once had a friend go like, dude, when you're talking about your friends, sometimes I'm like, I just look around, I'm like, who is he talking about right now? It's nobody here. But I realized how much in this moment as I'm walking into the building, literally this morning, I just felt comforted by God's love. If I've needed the comfort of God's love in the wake of my insecurity, how could I not be of one mind and one spirit with other people and consider others better than myself, extend the grace and love of God? Do you see how these things are connected? In experience union with Christ and comfort in his love. Common sharing in the spirit. This has all sorts of connotations, but I have been carried on the backs of many of you over the last few years and just loved and held up in so many different ways. Experience union with Jesus, a common sharing in the spirit. Tenderness and compassion, he says. If any common sharing, if any tenderness and compassion, tenderness comes from the word like splagnizomai, which we've talked about, like a deep in your guts longing and well-being for another. If you've experienced a tenderness and the compassion of God, if any of these things, then, then be of the same mind. How could you not? This is Paul saying, look, if you've even gotten a hint, a taste of any of this, if you've sensed the world is broken and your own heart is broken and you've seen and been carried by the love of God, if you realize that we are not just the sum of our molecular parts, if you realize there's a bigger story, if you realize that we are a part of something, if any of this has come to you and you've been cared for in that way, if you can sing amazing grace and mean it, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me, how could you not be of one mind. Just, just center on the, most focus, on the most central thing of Jesus. And in light of that, man, well then consider others better than yourself. Next week we're going to explore just how like Jesus literally does this. He shows this to us. And this is where we come this morning, to the communion table. We come to take the bread, which is representative of Jesus' body broken for us. And of his blood, his his, his body, his blood poured out for us. This is an ultimate act of love. Jesus said there's no greater love, and he laid down his life for his friends. And this is, Jesus calls us his friends. This is the ultimate act of, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Not for God so was going to condemn the world that he sent Jesus to make sure he didn't condemn it. For God so loved the world that he sent Jesus to rescue us. That we would be one, so the dividing wall would come down, so that we would be a new humanity full of humility and compassion and tenderness towards each other, because that's what God has for us. God says it's the kind, Paul says it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. We sometimes think it's our like bullheaded tough love speech that leads people to repentance. It's the kindness. Don't get in each other's way if it's not imperative. Focus on that which is most important first. And this is where unity and oneness become actually tangible and possible. It's not just an abstract idea anymore. Here at the table, because we can agree on this. We can agree on the world needs a Jesus who has poured himself out for our healing. And that the world needs us as the body of Jesus to break ourselves open pour ourselves out for the healing of the world. Let's pray. Lord, we, uh, many of us have encouragement from being united with you. Many of us have comfort from your love. Lord, many of us have common sharing in the spirit Many of us have experienced your tenderness and compassion. And so, Lord, we desire to be like-minded. We desire to have the same love, being of one spirit. We desire to be of one mind, to embody this new humanity. And so, God, help us to do nothing out of selfish ambition. Reveal to us right now where we are selfish. Reveal to us where we have just vain conceit. Reveal to us where we are prideful and not humble. Reveal to us where we value ourselves over everybody else. Lord, I pray right now in this moment, literally like words flash across the screen of our mind. Because we don't want to leave here just like, oh, that was an all right sermon. Oh, that was an okay time at church. That was great. That was awful. Whatever. We actually want to leave here Changed. So bring literally a specific thing right now that we can go to you with. Or maybe for some of us, this whole we've never experienced union with you. And I pray that today, right now, Lord, people would just say, I want to follow Jesus. I thank you that you are calling people home. I thank you that you are calling people to be united with you. I thank you that despite this community with all its hypocrisy, sanctuary is hypocritical, amen? Lord, we know sanctuary is broken. We know we are full of some pretty messed up individuals, some odd characters. We are home to some pretty epic egos. And yet, because of you and in your spirit, we can lay that stuff down more and more and more every day and become more and more holy and more and more like you and be more and more the community that this city longs to see. Help us identify the places where we are broken. And I thank you, Lord, in advance for the people that you are calling home right now. In your name we pray. Amen.